Welcome back. You are listening to Three Makes Baby with me, your host, Jana Rupnow, the author of Three Makes Baby and a fertility counselor specializing in alternate family building. If you've been listening for a while, then you know I interview parents that are struggling with infertility and donor-conceived adults talking about their experience being donor-conceived. Welcome, everyone. If you hear anything in the background, there's a massive storm happening right now, um, and the rain is, it's like, it's its coming down so hard I can't see outside. So I probably won't be able to edit those sounds out, and you might get like a blast of lightning come through. But um, I've already warned my guest today, Rachel Ginocchio, is with me, and she is the founder of Roads to Family, and she is a sexuality and health education or educator consultant and writer in Portland, Oregon. So Rachel, I'm so glad you're here. Well, Jana, thank you for having me. It's exciting. We don't usually, I'm in Portland and it rains all the time here, but we don't (laughs) get those like really exciting stormy weather patterns. So that's kind of exciting. It's so exciting. And my dog's not really happy about it. She was Mm. like scratching the door trying to find me, but all over the house, but yeah, it's, uh, it is kind of exciting to get that little jolt, but yeah, I'm really glad you reached out. We, I know that we connected, it's been, I think several months now, and, um, it was great to hear about some of the work you're doing. And I just wanted to kind of let people, um, let you share with people the work that you're doing right now with health, edu- health education and family building education. Sure, absolutely. It is a pleasure to be here, Jana. Yeah, I had read your book and listened to numerous of your podcasts. And I've just gotten so much out of your work. And just really, I've learned so much from all of the people that you've been talking to. And I'm just always grateful when people share their stories and their perspectives and experiences, because that helps me as an educator, um, know, know the material better. I think you and I talked about someone that writing um, a book too for young adults, a fiction piece? Yeah. Right now I have two main projects going. Mm-hmm. So one project is I'm writing a book for middle grade readers. Yeah. So that's 10 to 14 year olds. Mm-hmm. And it's a book about human reproduction and family formation. So I am interviewing families that were created all sorts of different ways through adoption and foster care and all um, iterations of assisted and third party reproduction. Mm -hmm. And families are sharing their stories with me. And I'm also talking to and interviewing egg donors and sperm donors and surrogates. So people that help create family in lots of different ways. And then um, within the narratives, Jana, I'll be, um, I'll be I'll be explaining the science behind the reproductive mm-hmm. um, methodology. Mm-hmm. So I'll explaining the science behind insemination mm-hmm. and in vitro fertilization. Nice. Yeah, that's really great. And then the, is it the book you're writing? Is that a curriculum for a classroom environment or is it fiction? Yeah. So that's factual. That will be all real people's stories with the science behind it. And, you know, I'm hoping that collectively those stories create kind of a collage or a mosaic of experiences Mm -hmm. and the end goal of it or the purpose of the book is to promote a more inclusive version of Mm -hmm. human reproduction that celebrates 
every single means of conception, gestation, and family formation. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to kind of, um, to kind of broaden the picture and our understanding of how human reproduction works mm -hmm. yeah. and all of the implications that, and all of the implications that has for how we can create family in so, in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Including and so, IVF yeah. and oh. donor conception and Yep. Yeah. It will include everything, um, egg, sperm, and embryo donation, surrogacy, mm -hmm. insemination, in vitro fertilization. Mm -hmm. So all, all of the ways so that, you know, ultimately, Jenna, the idea is to talk about human reproduction in a way that includes every single human being mm -hmm. and every family structure inclusively. Yeah. No one's left out. No one's marginalized. Mm -hmm. That really helps. It helps when young people read about themselves and their family in a book, in a factual book in their curriculum. It really makes them feel like they belong too. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is the whole idea. And so, um, so the, the corollary project I have going right now is that I have teamed up with um, some organizations, amazing org organizations. So GLSEN is a um, organization that advocates for LGBTQ inclusive schools mm -hmm. and advocates for youth, which is a nonprofit organization that writes um, great sexuality health um, education materials mm -hmm. and Portland Public Schools here in Oregon. And we have joined together and we applied for a grant through the state. So through um, Oregon um, Public, through Oregon Department of Education. Okay. And we are writing lessons for high school students. Mm -hmm. Again, we're kind of throwing out that old narrative mm -hmm. that sex makes a baby. Babies are a result of sex. Mm -hmm. We're not throwing that out. I shouldn't say that, yeah. but we are we are recreating the entire explanation of human reproduction mm -hmm. so that again, it is inclusive of every means of fertilization, mm -hmm. every means of gestation, every means of birth, every means of family formation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it, don't laugh, but I've been watching my daughter and I've been watching Grey's Anatomy and it's just a show we can watch again. It's like, a, it's a soap opera, you know, but I love it. It's so good. We're in season nine now. And they, you know, but years ago, 10 years ago, they were already addressing families formed in different ways. And, um, you know, so it's, it's about time our, our book, our curriculum and schools start to catch up with the, what's already happening out there. What is the influencing sort of the old narratives to say, stay stuck or stay part of the, part of the institution? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I love exploring, I love exploring that. And so the idea that I think for such a long time, Jana, you know, sex education is what 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 it was called back back when, mm -hmm. and still is in many many places. Sex education was all about sex mm -hmm. and how sex creates unintended pregnancy mm -hmm. and sex and spreads sexually transmitted infection. Mm -hmm. So we have been sort of stuck in this narrative that if you don't want to have a baby and you do not want to spread a sexually transmitted infection, you should not have sex. Mm -hmm. 
So Mm -hmm. that, that narrative, that single focus narrative, Mm -hmm. like granted, that's a pretty clear message, right? So I want to give them credit for that, Mm -hmm. but it is such an ineffective message and Mm -hmm. we know how ineffective it is um, Mm -hmm. now. It is at the basis of abstinence only education. And we know that it does not work to prevent Mm -hmm. the negative outcomes that people had hoped it would prevent, right? Mm Like um, it doesn't delay first sexual intercourse. It does not um, delay delay um, or prevent unintended pregnancy or decrease the spread of sexually transmitted infections. Mm. So I think it's hard for people to get out of that mindset. I think we just sort of have a palpable anxiety around yeah. unintended teen pregnancy. Yeah. And yeah. So it's a kind of yeah. way of, you know, it's almost an, it was an extreme approach and, and almost an, then a long time of everyone burying their heads in the sand a bit, sounds like. Yeah, I think so. I think we've now, you know, now when we talk about sexuality education, we talk about comprehensive sexuality education. And so, yeah, we still sort of keep that piece of anatomy and reproduction Mm -hmm. as part of that conversation. But the conversation is now so much broader. So now we have an opportunity to talk about things like sexual orientation and gender identity, Mm -hmm. relationships, boundaries and consent, we have an ability to talk about a large, a a broader, um, broader, we we have the ability to talk about many more topics within sexuality education. And it also provides this amazing venue for talking about how does media, our religion, our race, our culture, our socioeconomic status, how do all of those aspects also influence or impact our sexual health decisions and behaviors. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. So we've kind of gone from the small, um, the small, small narrowed version of sex education mm-hmm. to a broader view of sexuality education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Right. Yeah. But oh, go ahead. I just was going to say one more thing, yeah. which is but that 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 aspect about anatomy and reproduction, we're still talking about it the same way we all always have been. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this whole brand new world out there, Janet, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's this whole brand new world. And so my focus really is on talking about that piece of comprehensive sexuality in a much more broad and inclusive way. Mm -hmm. And that's what enables us to talk about all the other topics within comprehensive sexuality education more accurately, more genuinely, more truthfully. Yeah. And that's great. And that's, that's the, you know, it's, by again, by getting, by kids hearing about it um, in different ways in their schools, you know, on social media, you know, from friends that have been conceived in different ways, it changes, you know, they, they're here about it. It, it normalizes it. And, yes. you know, I remember talking with a friend not too long ago and she told me, she knew after she found out the type of profession I was in, she said, you know, I had known her for years and she kind of, she, you know, got closer to me, lowered her voice and said, you know, I used IVF to have my kids. Mm. And (laughs) here I am with counselor in this field for 10 years. So that wasn't shocking to me at all. I was like, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And, but to her it was. And so I, it was good for me because I realized still how many people even don't talk about using IVF to have their babies. Yeah. So we've, yeah. So this will be good. And, and, you know, again, you know, parents that see it's in curriculums, their students are coming home talking about it. I'm like, okay. You know, this is something yeah. we can talk about. This isn't something we have to be 
um, ashamed of, or it's some weird science experiment, or you're a test tube baby, or all the weird, you know, the terminology that sort of started out in the beginning with reproductive technology. You know. Oh gosh, yes, Jana, absolutely. Like I think the number one thing that it does when we talk about human reproduction in a more truthful and more complex way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're taking away the stigma, we're taking away the shame, right? Yeah. And and then students, like you said, they they grow up with this ability to talk respectfully, not only about their families, perhaps, but Mm. the families of their classmates, their neighbors, their relatives, Mm -hmm. you know, and just the families that they see, like you were saying, Grey's Anatomy, Mm -hmm. like families that they see portrayed in the media. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to give them a vocabulary and a way to um, respectfully talk about about families. Yeah. Um, It's great to hear that you're doing that. Are you, um, tell me, are you also you know, you got a grant and you're able to, you know, use that to, to d- develop the curriculum. Are you also able to develop sort of an independent program or is your work just directed toward the, the school districts and writing curriculum? Yeah, no, I love opportunities and to do workshops. So I've um, talked at a couple of conferences. So whenever I can present um, a, a more expansive version of human reproduction that is inclusive of every every child, every person, every family structure I do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love speaking at conferences. A couple times when I spoke at conferences, the audience was blown away. They had never heard this take on human reproduction before. And so I think we're at a place, I'm hoping we're at a place where people have come to realize how important it is to be more truthful and more complex about the explanation so that we are including everyone. Kids aren't being stigmatized. Families know that this is such an okay thing to talk about and and to encourage families to have these conversations Mm -hmm. with their kids. So do you do workshops or seminars or... Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. I I, I do. um, I do... Any or all of those things. So whenever there's an opportunity, whenever I have space, I'll apply Mm -hmm. to be a speaker at a conference. Mm -hmm. I also do workshops in my neighborhood. I um, do a puberty workshop called Pizza and Puberty. Mm -hmm. And so I've done inclusive reproduction conversations with young kids, Mm -hmm. like elementary school kids. And I also do an adult workshop. The corollary is brains and brews. And the tagline is learning and growing together and becoming a much wiser parent. Mm -hmm. And so I've done the workshops for adults as well, but I do go into the schools and I teach teachers how to talk about inclusive reproduction. I talk to high school students as well as middle and elementary school students as well. So really whenever I have an opportunity, whether the audience is large or small online or in person, I, I, I love talking about human reproduction this way. Yeah. Well, you read, do you have a chance to read any of the, the, phrases in the back of or in the back half of three makes baby about how to talk about donor conception with your child. Yeah. So what, what would you improve upon? Yeah. It would have been great to talk to you before I published in 2018, (laughs) but what, what would you add? Let's say if we were to redo, you know, another version of that, what? uh, Oh, that's so funny. And mm -hmm. I read the book quite a while ago and I've Mm -hmm. read many books since. So I can't, um, Jana remember exactly, um, what was written, but the first, thing I would say is that there is zero uh, stigma or shame in how any human being is created. We are 
all created equally. Mm -hmm. So I always say it takes a sperm cell, an egg cell, and a uterus Mm -hmm. to create a human being. And sometimes the people who create the human being are the same as the people who end up raising the human being Mm -hmm. and sometimes not, but that many people can play a role in providing the ingredients that we need to create a human. But in the end, we literally all are all created with those three basic ingredients. And, and, it, and if parents and caregivers, adults and teachers start with the conversation with the ingredients, they can then sort of layer on who provided those ingredients. Okay. And do you, so you use the yeah. word ingredients? Well, I, it depends what, um, age? what age okay. level, yeah. yeah, it depends what age I'm working on, but kids sure. can really understand the idea of ingredients. Okay. Got it. Uh, whereas Got with it. older students. Yeah. I may or may not. Yeah. Yeah. And I know because there's a lot of sensitivity around language for um, within the donor conception community. The donor conceived adults do um, give us their feedback about what type of language feels right and what feels more dehumanizing. dehumanizing. Um, and so, and I, but it, I think it's important to, to make that distinct, to distinguish that, um, sometimes certain words need to be used because of the developmental age, you know, the age of the child. And so sometimes you, you're not trying to, you know, dehumanize or make it seem like they're less than by using a word, you know, a certain word, but that you're just trying to meet the child where they're at. So I think those are, Mm -hmm. those are, it's really important that we like talk about that and we make that clear to, um, you know, just to everyone that's in this field. Um, for example, like donor conceived individuals, they, many of them do not like the word gift, that they were mm-hmm. a gift. And that makes mm-hmm. sense. You know, mm-hmm. um, even the word donation feels kind of weird to them because it feels like uh, I wasn't donated. So, right. you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot, we have to be so careful about this and it's really important. I mean, it's really, it seems like it's mincing words and it's really not. I mean, if you think about if you were created that way and when we internalize language so much as we're growing, that we don't want kids to internalize a language that makes them feel like they were a product. So right. yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, I, I love the whole conversation around language and how language has evolved and that um, my message to, to parents and teachers, caregivers is, and the students themselves is that each family is going to have words that are right for their family. And so being really respectful and, and, and using words that families use for themselves is what is so important. And also understanding that words within families change over time as well. That's true. So, yeah. And so the message of when you are curious about someone's family, how do you ask in a way that keeps curiosity at the center. Mm -hmm. And so that we keep our judgment and we keep our assumptions in check and figure out how to ask respectfully. I love that. I love that approach. Yes. Keep curiosity at the center rather than judgment. And, you know, even if it's new to you, we need to be able to give people kids language that something to say back 
you know, oftentimes when something's new to us, we don't know what to say. So we say something, maybe people say something they shouldn't, or they right. go, really? Oh my right. Oh my God. Or whoa, that's weird. That's right. weird. Or yeah. you know, they don't, especially middle schoolers. Oh boy, they're tough. But, um, you know, what we can do is, is teach kids language when they're learning something new. Do you have that? Any of that? Yes. Yeah. I was just, when you were talking, I, I, in my brain, I was saying, yes, yes. <laughs> I was thinking that the burden of the excellent. So, so when we don't equip teachers mm -hmm. to talk inclusively, right. Mm -hmm. Then the burden lays on the, on the, on the students mm -hmm. that are kind of um, a result of, let's say, assisted reproduction, adoption, foster care. So mm -hmm. when we're talking about third party reproduction, let's say, and, you know, a kindergartner pops into school and they want to know, in fact, I was just talking to um, a woman who, um, whose mom is single, single mom by choice. And she said it was kind of her responsibility in kindergarten because the kids wanted to know who her dad was and where her dad was and everyone has a dad. So who's mm -hmm. your dad? Cause how did, you know, you need a dad. So the kids understood enough to know that there was a mom and dad in the equation to make a baby mm -hmm. or so they thought. So it kind of the responsibility of the explanation laid on her shoulders. So not mm -hmm. only did she have to explain, I don't have a dad, I have a donor mm -hmm. and this is how a donor works to create a baby right like that and, and and then most of the kids didn't even know how babies were created to begin with mm -hmm. and so the idea that when teachers don't have the vocabulary that the burden is 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 falling on the on the um on the kids on the students on the youth that are donor conceived mm -hmm. that's exactly um, right right mm -hmm. and so if the if the teachers were equipped to have these conversations, then they could take the burden off of the mm -hmm. kindergartner. That's true. Right. And and if mm -hmm. we started talking about that, you know, egg and sperm cells can come from a variety of different people. Mm -hmm. Here are all mm -hmm. the people that can provide, like we said before, those ingredients. Yes. And who, mm -hmm. what names we we assign to those people that play a role will vary again from family to family, but to insist mm -hmm. that someone has a dad when they have never regarded their donor as a dad mm -hmm. or someone has a mom and they have never regarded their mom or their, or the, excuse me, the donor or their mm -hmm. surrogate as their mom. We are putting, you know, we're, we so load the words mom and dad, mother and father with mm -hmm. things that might not be a word, right? That, yeah. that applies to that family and how they describe all the people That's true. that played a role. Yeah, I can see us in the future, you know, somebody, you know, saying instead of who's your mom or who's your dad, it's like, where did your DNA come from? <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. kids will ask exactly. you, where did your DNA come from? So, yeah. um, yeah. yeah. But, and I do that all the time at home. It's really funny when my daughter was younger and she would play with Barbie dolls and, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there'd be two moms and I'd be like, oh, who's the sperm donor? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And she'd say these people and these people. And I'd say like, oh, where'd their, where'd that DNA come from? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So we play with that all the and, time. And what got you interested in this? What brought you to oh. this field? That's a good, that's a good question. Oh my gosh. So, um, okay. So I've been in sexuality education for, or I, I should just say the, not necessarily education, but in the world of sexual health for, for many, many years, like I probably began in the field 
maybe 25 years ago. And I have a master's degree in public health, which I got from the University of Washington. But um, I also took a break from professional life to create my own family, Jana. And my family came about through in vitro fertilization and international adoption. Oh. And, um, and then I'll also throw in that I come from a three-generation family created through foster care. My dad grew up in the foster care system oh, wow. and adoption, my sister, and now my daughter. Okay. And so really, the, the, I've always been interested in um, sexual health from a professional standpoint, but it was my personal experience in creating my own family that has given me sort of the passion mm-hmm. for my work. The, it's the why of my work, really. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I kind of focus my, even though I do operate in the world of comprehensive sexuality education, sort of all those broad topics, my passion and my focus is really at that intersection of sexuality education human reproduction and family formation because of my personal experiences. Oh, fantastic. And where did you adopt from? We adopt from Vietnam. My daughter um, was born in Vietnam. And so, you know, we adopted from China, right? Yes, yes, I know that. Okay, good. Yes. 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 And how old is your daughter now? She's in seventh grade, which oh. I cannot believe. And my oh. son is a senior <laughs> in high school. I cannot believe that either. Oh, it goes, it, it, they say it goes fast. And I, you know, I say, you know, it doesn't go fast. It just feels like it when it's past, you know, <laughs> it, it, yes. it's like, it's, I don't know. It just, it does, time doesn't, it doesn't really go fast. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to explain, isn't it? Yes. It's, there was yeah. once someone said something about like the days are slow, but the years are fast or something. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't something feel like that, that way. Yeah. I feel like everything is so fast all the time. Really? Yes, you I do? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, having that background and you, you spend a while long enough that you maybe, did you confront any um, just challenges around your family narrative or what was the hardest incident that you can recall, um, that you was posed to your family, um, about being, being different? About being different. Well, my whole life, really, I've been questioned about my family. So my dad having grown up in foster care was always a question. Mm -hmm. My sister who's domestically adopted was always, we always got the, the, oh, I didn't know that. So mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. we were talking about or whatever subject was had come up, there was always a point in a conversation or not always, but there would be sometimes a point in a conversation where, oh, well, she's adopted came up. I didn't know she was adopted. So the whole conversation mm-hmm. stops, pauses, and <laughs> sure we does. go on that path. And I, and yes, it does. so that was always hard. And it's interesting. It was one of the reasons why we decided to do international adoption, because I mm-hmm. thought no one's gonna question that isn't we don't have to stop the conversation yeah right it'll be right there in front of everyone and right there and it's interesting then we got then there was a whole other slew of 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 oddball questions that we would get and I thought oh that's interesting I didn't think about that um Mm. and I think the hardest thing for her is that people assume that she was born in China. So she gets a lot of questions about which province you were um, born in and, Mm -hmm. you know, where in China were you born? So, so people really don't ask, people who are curious don't really ask 
open questions. They, they, they make assumptions and sort of go in for some piece of information that they need, need, need for themselves, but, no, but with see. little thought, yeah, right. you know, about they impact on, on their having. Yeah. If we're, if we're really want, if we're really curious and we can pause for a second and teach our kids to pause for a second and think about, you know, the other person, then you, yeah, you can teach them that they're to ask the question and rather than assume and, yeah, that that that's that can go a long yeah. way in making a kid feel um, okay about things and even proud. You know, my it, daughter's proud of her Chinese background, um, and so when p- kids would ask her in middle school and talk about it, she she didn't mind talking about it um, unless it was brought up in a way that was, you know, there there were ways that it was brought up awkwardly. You know, right. so I mean, right. and yeah, it's the worst was when they, she was hanging out with a couple other friends that were also Asian and a group of girls got up and left the three Asian girls sitting on at the, um, sitting at the, uh, cafeteria table by themselves. So that was hard. Um, you know, that was one of those moments that, you know, and I remember saying, do you want me to go talk to the school, the teacher and the staff about it? And I wanted to, of course. And she said, no, please don't, it'll make my life worse. You right. know? So, right. you know, those are kind of hard things. Cause you like, how do you get, um, getting other parents to see when that's happening, right? Um, yes, you know, it's hard. It is. It's hard for them because they don't really believe it, and they don't believe their kids would do that. Mm-hmm. But so it is hard. Mm-hmm. I remember. Well, my daughter laughs at me. She th- says that it's partly my fault. We did send her to a Chinese immersion um, elementary, and now she's mm-hmm. at a Chinese immersion middle school as well. So she she thinks you know we're we're partly to blame there, but there mm-hmm. just wasn't really a whole lot of Vietnamese programs available unfortunately for us the year after we we started her in Chinese immersion Portland Public started a Vietnamese immersion program so we did debate whether you know do we hold her back a whole year so that she can learn and have access to her birth language or not hold her back continue forward so Mm -hmm. that was a tough decision um but yeah, oh gosh, Jenna, I remember the the one time, you know, I had gotten so many questions about, well, where's her real mom? Who's her mm-hmm. who's her real mom? Where's her real mom? And um, were you born in China? Those all of those questions. And then there was a dad in elementary school who said, Rachel, can I ask you your daughter's ethnicity? And I just, I gave him a huge hug. And I said, that is the kindest Aww. way that anyone could have asked the question that they were curious about. Nice. And him yeah. and I have developed such a sweet friendship over nice. time because he, yeah, his curiosity he asked, yeah. and he asked and um, curiosity and respect were at the heart of his question. And it yeah. just kind of shined through in the way that he asked it. Yeah. I like the way he asked it. That's very kind. Yeah. Can I yeah. ask you? Can yeah. I ask you? Yeah. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yes. So but this is, um, this is what it's all about is learning, you know, when we talk to parents about destigmatizing or, you know, lifting the shame or, you know, opening narratives around different ways of building your family, it, it's like, it's all mm, sort of that it's just saying that, but then what they need yeah. is like the actual words. And, and that's what I wanted to break down. So I did those phrases in my book and I was like, I know there's probably a ton more good phrases out there. Other people can come up with. So it's great to connect with you and add to that. And then also give kids a way to respond to questions that are being asked about their origins. If it puts them in, if they don't want to talk about it, if it puts them in the spot, right. feeling vulnerable. And so that's where I have my little 
five D's. I know it's so, so catchy, right? It's just supposed to be um, something that you easily remember and who knows if it'll actually work or not. No, it's great. I loved the five D's yeah. and I loved the, yeah, yeah no, it was great. And I loved the if also, I just yes, really think consider that those if, are, are yeah. Yes, I think they get at the heart of it and they give really concrete, tangible tools, which is so helpful, I think. Yeah, yeah I tend to be sarcastic. So my daughter and, and I come up with all sorts of sarcastic Oh, you have some witty comebacks, don't you? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's, because that's now fun. she's in seventh grade, like the wit is, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's all dripping. about the... <laughs> Yeah. It's all about the sarcastic comeback. So. Yeah. And that just, you know, real quick, that's something, if you have something, please add on, but if for kid, for parents that are listening, for your kids that are in middle school and, and even maybe some in, in the younger years, but usually it's happening around middle school, but you can say, Rachel, if you have some insight as to the grade sort of that, that begins in. Um, but the consider if is, if is you can teach your child this, if someone says something to them, ask them a question they feel weird about, they can mm -hmm. use this acronym IF. One is, what is the intention of the person asking? And you can usually tell by, just like that gentleman that said it to you in such a nice way, his intention was kind and curious. And and then, or is someone coming at you and you can tell their intention isn't as pure, you know? And so is yeah. there a whispering that you saw off in the corner and then somebody sends a friend to be the, the inquisitor, you know? So you want to know the intention and if the intention isn't good, you don't have to answer. I mean, you don't have to answer anyway, but you certainly want to get out of that situation and not put yourself on the spot and put your, right. yourself up for uh, um, um, an, a situation that's gonna hurt. And then the F is what feelings are coming up for you. So even if the in question is very caring and kind, I've had so many people ask in a caring and kind way, but frankly, I just wasn't in a place that I felt, I felt like I wanted to talk about it. You don't have to talk about it then either. So you consider both those things and you then empower the kids to have ways that they can get out of those situations and answer them in a way that makes them feel like they have control over the situation. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just thinking, um, of a, a kid in my daughter's elementary school who just, um, he would come at her and other kids and not specifically because of her adoption, um, but just would come at at her and, and kids in ways that were really hard to handle. And so we would sometimes role play what a response could be. And in the end, we realized if she just looked at him and said, are you having a really bad day today? <laughs> there you Do go. You need a hug? Oh. That kind of halted him wow. because it was a way of getting, yeah, my daughter to realize that yeah. that that what was coming from him was his bad feelings. Yes. Right. Yes. And that his bad feelings were so big and powerful that he dealt with them by trying to put them on, you know, hot potato, you catch the bad feelings. Of course. Um, yes. Right. And Very so good. not even engaging in one iota of responding mm -hmm. in any way, but just saying, hey, are you having a bad day or did something happen? Do you want to talk about it? Mm -hmm. Hey, do you need a hug? Wow. Right? Genius. Just sort of halting. Uh -huh. That is genius <laughs> and brilliant. So, yeah. So do you have um, a resource or a book or anything that parents could turn to if they want to help with wording, terminology, language, anything Would like that? love it. Oh my gosh. If there are any listeners that are interested, I, I, um, 
there I'm still searching for some families to interview I do have to look on my spreadsheet to see exactly who I who um sort of whose narrative is missing from from again that mm -hmm. collage of experiences mm -hmm. so if families have share a story that they want to share they can reach out to me and if anyone especially um youth and adults that are donor conceived want to help weigh in on give feedback on the curriculum that we're developing would mm -hmm. absolutely love to have have as many eyes on the material as possible okay so great. yeah the best way to get in touch with me is they can always email and i'm at rachel mm -hmm. at roads to family and that's road like a street road roads mm -hmm. to family dot com and then social media i'm pretty new to social media but mm -hmm. i'm i'm trying to learn the ropes but i do mm -hmm. have a facebook mm -hmm. and an instagram account i still don't know the ropes name. in social media I oh have, my gosh i have not You're, cracked the code trust me i you have are brilliant <laughs> i don't know from about my that. perspective <laughs> i'm like wow i don't know about um, that. it feels like it's always changing so i don't know but um thank you but yeah that's great and i think that i would love for the donor conceived population to get involved and have, they have some great insight to share. Great. Um, and you're, you're familiar with, we are donor conceived. Yes. Yes. And so that's, yes. they've just coming out with a new magazine. Um, so that's yes, going to be available. I Can't wait to read that. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So all of this, the, even the book, the curriculum really just uh, hopefully provides space so that, um, people who are donor conceived can, mm -hmm. yeah, can, 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 because I obviously can't speak for, but I can use whatever spaces I have mm -hmm. to help elevate their voices and have their Fantastic. voices heard and not just sort of to educate peers, but also to educate adults who are making decisions about mm -hmm. donor conception and whether they are going to tell or not tell and, and, and what that means. So I think yeah. we've, we're repeating a lot of mistakes we did with the adoption industry so many years ago and that we still continue we to make. And I think that the louder the voices of the donor conceived, the better we will all be. Absolutely. I completely agree. And there's just um, a lot more that we have to learn. So yeah, the more we can listen to what they have to say and be open to it, even if it's hard to hear. Um, mm -hmm. for parents, I think I encourage you to work through that, get past that because it's, um, it will make you a better parent. I promise. Yeah, <laughs> I promise right. it will. Right. And your child, you know, what I'm, um, what we want to avoid Rachel. And I know you, you're probably aware of this is we really, we want to avoid those, those really tough things that can happen in the teen years. Um, we, I just actually talked to Erin Jackson of we are donor conceived today. And she said that, and she's got some, I mean, just great, great information. She's worked so hard, uh, you know, to, to get across the information she has. And she talks about that, you know, she's done a survey, you know, the, we are donor conceived survey. And she said that, you know, even, um, even if they were told and, and they're, they're have a happy family and everything that they still, um, that still children do have questions about their genetics. Um, and so that it's interesting to, um, we want to tell kids, we want to start, I was telling her, I was like, you know, we started out by telling families that not we, they, <laughs> can I say they here? I didn't do it. I didn't do this, but they told them to keep it a secret. And I know that's wrong because I was adopted and my child adopted. So I know you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. So 
I, you know, I saw this happening mm-hmm. and I entered this field and I mm-hmm. saw the secrecy and I was like, no, this cannot be happening. Didn't they know? Haven't they seen what happened in the adoption community? Mm-hmm. No, they haven't, or they don't, they're not looking. Um, so I, of mm-hmm. course, my work mm-hmm. was about opening, um, encouraging to people to open up. And then we even, Aaron mm-hmm. Jackson, and I were even mm-hmm. talking about the next level, you know, in the next stage, which yeah. is then continuing that dialogue and being able to talk to your child about it, being able to talk about some of the hard stuff, things like that, and being able to be open to what they have to say, yeah, even if it's uncomfortable, right. you know? So, yes. Yeah. And, and it's, they're going to, their thoughts and feelings are going to grow and change just like the rest of them is growing and changing. And they will go through periods where, you know, things feel positive and they're going to go through periods where things feel terrible Mm -hmm. and that's okay to just be there with them wherever Mm -hmm. they are in terms of their wanting to know or not wanting to know in terms of their feelings and attitudes towards it. Mm -hmm. That is going to change throughout time. Yeah. You know, pretty guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was going to say one more thing too, when you were saying at the, oh, at the heart of the Mm -hmm. conversation. So at the heart of the conversation is truth. Mm -hmm. And then at the heart of the conversation is also just being proud that, that, that parents and and caregivers that, that in their hearts know that this, their, their children's conception story is amazing. Mm -hmm. That is the attitude that they want to sort of, that they want to convey in, in the storytelling. And even really if, if adults or parents are still sort of dealing with their own issues around that, knowing that that is their own issues that they still need to deal with and mm-hmm. tend to absolutely. Mm-hmm. But that story, their, the conception story they tell their children should just be infused with, with good feelings about how that child came to be. And especially, you know, early on. And I think then as the child grows, again, that language grows with them. So I always tell people, you know, it's going to start out as you'll have a, be able to start positive. They're little, you know, it's simple. Life is a bit more simple. You can keep things pretty positive. And then as they grow and things get more challenging and you're teaching them as they grow into teens and middle middle childhood, middle children, middle childhood children. Okay. That didn't make sense. You know what I mean? So as we, as they grow, we are, we're having to give them new skills. So now we're going to say, okay, you know what, here's the, you know, the positive side of the story. Now you're starting to express some of the, maybe the challenges of the story. Let's go there. Absolutely. I think she talks about, um, Aaron Jackson talks about the perspectives of Gen Z donor conceived people. And then we're going to mostly sperm donation is what we're hearing from because we don't have a lot of egg donation, but eventually we're going to hear from the egg um, donor conceived adults too. I think that's fantastic. Well, great. Thank you so much for everything today. Oh my gosh, Jenna, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for all the work you do, all the work that you do to, for the community. Yeah. Just really appreciate you. Oh, appreciate that. Thanks for being on today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow for more content, you can go to my Instagram and Facebook account at Jana Repnow LPC or follow Three Makes Baby on Instagram. You can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to Three Makes Baby on Amazon. The Three Makes Baby audiobook. It is now in audio format on various platforms. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.